Mac Power Users episode 480, Catching Up with Michael Hyatt. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined as always by my friend and probably your friend too, because he's awesome, Mr. David Sparks. Good day to you, Mr. Hackett. Hey, how are you? I don't know. I was just feeling like a top hat and monocle kind of day. I can get behind it. I mean, it's it's a Thursday. Why not? Yeah, and we have a best-selling author on the show. We don't get that That's every true. day. That is true. So we are joined by the one and only Michael Hyatt. Hey, guys. So happy to be on. Yeah, so, so like we said, Michael is a best-selling author. He is uh, a coach. He's a boss. We're going to get into all of that stuff. He's a native Tennessean, so we can gang up on California in this episode if we want to. That's you know, right. There, there are silly beaches and sunshine and cool laws, all that stuff that we don't have here. Anyways, we should just move right on. So, Michael, you were on a couple of years ago, uh, and we got into all sorts of stuff. And I think today we kind of want to check back in and see how things are, are going, what you've been up to, and maybe uh, what's changed since that last interview. Great. And I have to say, I'm a fan. And Stephen, I love your addition to the show. I was saying before the show, I missed Katie, but you have been an awesome addition to the show. So thanks for joining, David. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot. It's been, it's been a really fun year so far, uh, getting to know the show and and the listeners, and of course, David's awesome. Uh, don't tell him I said that. So uh, it's been great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I, I don't know if my head's going to fit through the door now. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Well, not if you have that top hat and monocle on. If you take that stuff off, you'll be fine. I know. I'll, I'll send it back to Mike. Okay. But the, uh, uh, you know, I one of the things I love about having you on, Michael, is, you know, you are, I mean, you are the real deal when it comes to all of the things you've done. You've been a CEO. You've written these books. As we were getting ready to record the show, you said you just discovered that your latest book just became number one on the Wall Street Journal business list. And, you know, you're 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 a guy who's doing things. But at the same time, we can fall into a rabbit hole with you about Keyboard Maestro. And I just love that you can do both of those things. Well, can I just say that when I heard this last episode you guys did on day one and you talked about, just made a reference that you were finishing up this, I think a course or a field guide on Keyboard Maestro, I mean, my head exploded because I love that program so much and am always looking for tips and hacks. So I can't wait to see what you've done there. Yeah, it is crazy. It is crazy what you can do with that app. And and honestly, you inspired me with this one because I've got people helping with all sorts of the production uh, workflow, which I've never done before. So love that. Uh, that's that's partly inspired by some of the advice you've given over the years. Great, great, great. So it has been a few years though since you've been on the show, and I just thought we'd start by checking in with where you stand with your tech gear. It's kind of interesting. So I'm I've got a brand new iMac. That's what I'm using right now, talking to you. I've tried to kind of go iPad only, uh, largely inspired by you, David. Uh, In a recent episode, you talked about that. So I've got an iPad Pro 12.9 and I've got an 11 inch and I'm kind of trying them both to see which one I'm going to settle on. Yeah. But I, I, I love the thought and the simplicity of using an iPad only. And I don't really do any heavy production anymore that would require a big machine like I've got in front of me. So it's totally possible, but it's, it's really about muscle memory. That's the thing I've got to overcome. I really think that the iPad lifestyle fits well for manager types because it's exactly like you said, you're not doing the video production. So 
most of the stuff you need to do on iPad, you can do. Uh, there's still some software limitations. We're really hoping we get some good news in June on that. Um, but but I am kind of curious. So did you get the, the latest iMac, the, the one that just came out recently? I did. I had the previous one, which was at the 2015, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the 2018. And I got, uh, you know, 64 gigabytes of RAM and, you know, I got a terabyte uh, SSD and about souped up about every way I could. But you know what? Here's the crazy thing about it is, honestly, for me, marginal improvement. I can't can't hardly tell. Yeah. I believe I probably should have got a pro. Well, not probably not actually, because really the, for the stuff you're doing, I don't think you would have, you would, you still wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. The, the iMac Pro really kicks in when you start doing video renders and things like that, the multi-core stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you probably wouldn't be, it probably wouldn't be any faster for the stuff you're doing than the current one you have, or maybe even the 2015, I hate to say. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. It's really at a point with this hardware like it's all fast enough for so many different types of use cases. You're on one side of that coin where if you upgrade frequently, it's like smaller deltas between the machines. But mm-hmm. the other side is it means that these, like especially the iMac, especially desktops, you can get years and years out of them, useful, fruitful years. And that the, where that just wasn't the case 10 or 15 years ago. I remember like in the PowerPC days, like the G4 got a little bit faster and you could really tell doing basic things. But now it's all so, bar, so far above that threshold. It's kind of nice from that longevity standpoint, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a good point. And um, I've, got, I've used a MacBook Pro, too. I've got that laptop. And, you know, the truth is I just like new gear. You know, it's kind of like my, my, in fact, my accountant said, he said, you know, you're not into fancy cars and you're not into boats or second homes, but you do like your computer gear. And that's true. That's where I tend to spend my money. Yeah. You know what? Your accountant should talk to my wife <laughs> because that's what I tell people to do. I don't play golf. I don't, I, mean, I drive a Ford, you know, but you know, I do want nice gear when I do my tech stuff. It's just, just a thing for me. Yeah. There was that John Gruber tweet years ago, and I, I always think about it every September. It was like, you know, I don't drink, I don't gamble. You know, buying a new iPhone is my vice every year. And then he goes on and says, well, I do drink and gamble too, actually. But you know, <laughs> as far as vices go, a new computer on your desk or a new phone in your pocket every couple of years, there are far worse things you could spend your money on. We could just say that. Totally. And I don't think even for me, it's so much about the speed as it is about just the elegance of how the machine fits together and just the aesthetic of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I just still, you know, when I step back and look at it, all that Apple's created and all the the people that are making amazing software, it's it's really something to behold. I mean, especially, you know, back when in the day in 1981 when I bought my first IBM PC and it was a, you know, blinking DOS cursor. I mean, we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, you know, although I do wish you had texted me before you bought the new one because I would have told you rather than 64 gigabytes of RAM to get two terabytes of, of um, SSD. For most people, storage is always the problem. But see, here for me, everything's in the cloud. So I don't actually pull down. I do selective sync. So I don't actually have that much. I've got about 350 gigabytes that I use. Yeah. And that's it. Because everything else is, uh, for me, on Google Drive. And I use, to a less extent, uh, Dropbox. But almost everything's in Google Drive. Well, now you still, last time we talked, you were also, you had two two external monitors attached to your iMac. You still doing that? I'm still doing that. And that's probably the oldest gear I have. These are uh, Apple cinema displays. Yeah. 
And so I, I'm probably this year going to upgrade the whole thing. I'm just waiting for one big, giant, high-definition, curved monitor. We've got these at the office, but they're not as high resolution. You know, they're not 5K or 4K even. Mm-hmm. And so I'm waiting for that. As soon as we get, get that, I'll probably trade these in. I was curious how it was sitting in front of a you know a beautiful 5K Retina iMac and then to the left and right. Still nice displays, but not Retina quality. I think that would bother me to no end. I would get itchy after a while. It's well, the, the most of the work I'm doing on the middle monitor. So I use those wing monitors as reference. So I have Asana running in a uh, fluid app over here on the left. And then I've got Fantastical on the right. So it's pretty much for reference over there. You know, honestly, I probably, it'd be hard for me to justify buying two more monitors just for that. But all the heavy lifting goes on uh, on the iMac. And fl- fluid is a really cool thing if we can pause there for a second. So I use it with toggle for time tracking and fluid is a little mac app and basically you give it a url and a name and an icon and it just makes a little wrapper for a website so like right now i'm running toggle it is in my app switcher you know command tab it has a nice icon but if you go to it it's just a little frame that loads their website and i find it really helpful you know i ha- maybe it's just me and i'm curious what the two of you think about this even though I do a lot of work in my browser and Google Sheets and Google Docs and everything else, I don't like having to have a tab open all day. Like something like Toggle, I want to run all the time. I would rather have it be a air quotes application because it feels more permanent than a tab that if I accidentally quit that window or I don't have it pinned, it goes away. Is that kind of your thinking as well when wanting to put something in Fluid? Totally. I actually, I, I forgot that I've actually swipped, switched to a, another app uh, called Epichrome, which does the same thing as Fluid. Fil- Fluid is based on the Safari, you know, code structure. And Epichrome does the same thing. It creates a separate app based on the Chrome infrastructure. Have you heard of that? I have not. I'm checking it out now. But I could see uh, how that could become uh, a big deal. Like I've got a couple of web applications I use for work almost every day that they work way better in Chrome than in Safari. So it's good to have uh, good to have options. Yeah, check that out. It's really it's really slick. Almost identical to Fluid, but it's uh you'll see all the usual Chrome stuff stuff that you're used to. I mean, that really started growing out of the Google stuff. So many people would put Google Docs or Google or Gmail into Fluid. But now there's so many web services I can see why you'd use more. I mean, the Toggle app, the Toggle app for Mac is it's terrible. I was just about to say a bad word. I was, Stephen was going to beat me. It is real bad. But you know, running it as a, in a web wrapper makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you. The problem with putting those those app, you know, those web apps in tabs is then you close your browser, like I do occasionally, and you're like, "Whoops! I just closed two or three things that I wanted to keep running." And <laughs> this isolates it out of those. Exactly. I, you know, I, I went back and listened to that episode, Michael, and I, since we did the episode, I made fun of you for all your monitors uh, two years ago, but I've added what I call a reference monitor. Maybe I got the idea from you, but I, mine is vertical. It's a 4K monitor turned on its side and I just keep it to the right. Yeah, I saw that. I, I love that yeah. idea. It doesn't give you as much information as you're getting with, you know, what, what I call the full Al Gore. I don't know if you guys ever saw that picture. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, but the um, but it, it is it is nice. I haven't got I'm not going to put two ears on my Mac, but I do have one at this point. I like the idea of the vertical one because, you know, that's the the normal orientation of a of a page. Right. Yeah. So yeah. if you're doing any kind of page design or, you know, I, I tend to I, I don't actually do page design, but I'm re- reviewing a lot of documents that my team creates. 
and they're in a page design and to have it vertical like that might be might be kind of cool i have to try that Another advantage for me that I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this is because the mic is mounted on the right side of the desk, um, it pulls in right in front of that 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 reference monitor. So when I record, I can put the outline on the reference monitor and then I talk straight into the mic and then Stephen doesn't get mad at me when he does the edit. It. <laughs> Keep wandering away from me. Come back. Come back to the microphone. <laughs> so you you said you're experimenting with the iPad. Have you found uh, what are some things that you really uh, like about that? About the form factor of the software, or, or what are some things that are, are holding you back from moving there full time? Well, I really think, and I can't remember who said this. It might have been the guys at Sweet uh, Setup, but y- you know the the whole issue of muscle memory. You know, I'm just so acclimated to doing certain things on a Mac, not the least of which is having all these keyboard shortcuts with Keyboard Maestro. So that when I want to, for example, go to an application, I've got a keyboard shortcut and a sort of a convention that I use for all those keyboard shortcuts to launch different applications. And I don't have that, you know, on the on the iPad. It feels very much like in 2004 when I converted from a PC to go to a Mac and I felt like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get used to this? And that's how it feels right now. I'm kind of in that awkward stage. And so I'm at least at the place now that when I'm traveling, I'm only taking my iPad. And the thing probably I like the most about it is for consuming media, whether I'm, you know, reading in my RSS feed reader, or I'm reading a book, or I'm just browsing the news. I love that on the iPad. I also love it on an airplane that I don't have to shut down my laptop, you know, on the approach or on the landing, I can keep my uh, iPad open. And so, you know, some of the other applications are, you know, it's taken a little bit more to get used to. I use Spark email and use uh, Slack, and those are pretty much the same. You know, there's not really a big learning curve uh, there, except that I do have some keyboard shortcuts. I I miss the fact that Text Expander isn't available in every app, um, although it is in some, like day one. But um, that's, that's a little frustrating, too. Yeah, the way I get around day one, like my, my, I'm sorry, the way I get around text expander is the, the fancy snippets that like are fill-ins I run in the text expander app, and then I have to move the text, which is an extra step. But, um, there, there are these limitations that you bump into. And I always feel like the, the calculus is the delight versus the, um, inconvenience and, and everybody's kind of got their own measure of that. I was going to say, well, one of the, one of the challenges of that is, that when you take the weight of an iPad Pro 12.9 and you slap on it, you know, a keyboard, then you're pretty much approaching the same form factor as a MacBook Pro. Yeah. So there's not a lot of weight differential. So it, it, it is, it's kind of hard to justify in terms of more portability or weight. So that's, you know, something that's still a little bit of a tension in my brain um, that I'm trying to resolve. Now, when you travel, do you do presentation work with the iPad? Um, I don't, you know, so what I'm, I've, I used to travel all the time and speak. And now because of our coaching program, I speak about 50 times a year, but they're all in Nashville. We bring our clients and people in. So I, I just go in and it's all set up for me with a a team that does that. And I don't have to mess with it. What, so what are your thoughts? So you you try both the 11 and the 12, nine, do you have any impressions or preferences at this point? You know, I, <laughs> I I wish I did. I love the big screen on the twelve point nine when I'm when I'm consuming media, but I sure like the form factor and how it fits in a much smaller backpack. I've got a really cool backpack that I love, and the big one barely fits. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of testing them both. 
So I haven't, I haven't made a decision yet. As silly as this sounds, I kind of wish there was something in between. <laughs> I went with the yeah. 12, nine this time, but, and you, you put it really well. Once you put the keyboard folio on it, which I actually really like, it's the same size as my 13 inch MacBook pro. And if I take both of them somewhere, I just, sometimes I just look at my bags, I'm packing it for a trip. I'm like, what am I doing? Like these are the same <laughs> thing. It's uh but the 12, nine is really nice if you're doing a lot of multitasking because you can get the two full-size apps. And even the 11, you're sort of stuck with one being a, closer to the iPhone. So that's really nice. But uh, it is it can be a little bulky at times. And like, forget about using it to like, you know, read in the bed comfortably. You're going to you're gonna break your face if you drop that on yourself. Yeah, truly. You know, I guess one of the things I really love about the iPad Pro too is the fact that it's more difficult to multitask. And yeah. I, I really think for the sake of focus, and when I'm trying to do that, you know, Cal, Cal Newport deep work, um, I want to be able to single task as much as possible. And that's, I find that a lot easier on the iPad Pro than I do on the Mac. Yeah, I totally agree. And and, and that's kind of the, it's just such a different experience. That's why I, I often tell people when they approach me, they're like, oh, I know you're a big iPad guy. Well, I'm also a big Mac guy. I I am team both. I'm fortunate enough that I can afford both a Mac and an iPad. And I find good uses for both of them. And one of the things about the iPad, even though there are limitations and there are certain things that I just cannot do at all or do much slower on the iPad, there are other things that are much more, I don't know, conducive to the iPad for me. Um, uh, and um, a lot of creative thinking stuff for me happens on iPad for for whatever reason. Maybe it's because it gets me out from behind my desk yeah. or um, or just the, the kind of the similarity to a pad of paper. But it, it definitely changes. For me. Did you get yourself an Apple Pencil, too? Yes, I love that. I use GoodNotes. And by the way, that's that's one of the things I do a lot of presentations on. So when I'm doing uh, when I'm speaking publicly or when I'm doing coaching sessions, I will often um, use GoodNotes to draw a visual model. I, I'm able to put templates in there that have things like Venn diagrams or funnels or, you know, sort of the basic rudimentary visual model. And then I can draw on top of it and reveal it, you know, so sort of choreograph it so that it unfolds. But I, I love that app and I love the Apple Pencil for doing that. I'm guessing you have your uh, your compass in there, right? I do. More, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, having I, I talk to lawyer friends that do the same thing where they've got all the client client questions. Like I have an estate planning friend who does that. She's listed all of her questions for client interview through GoodNotes template, and you just pull it out. You've got a written document, but you've also got a digital record. Um, and since the last time we spoke, GoodNotes has had a really nice update. They really have. And the template function of that is fantastic. So I create the templates for it in Keynote, believe it or not. Then I export it as a image file, a JPEG. And then I suck that into preview and then save it as a PDF and then put it into GoodNotes, which sounds more convoluted than it really is. But it doesn't take much, but I put those PDFs right in there as templates. And I've probably got 40 of those inside of GoodNotes that I use. You know, we've done shows on things you can do with Keynote that are not presentations, but it has never occurred to me to make a GoodNotes template in <laughs> Keynote. <laughs> I use Keynote for everything like that. Every, every kind of graphic thing that I mm -hmm. need, I, I always find myself going back to Keynote. Yeah, it's layout tools and design tools are are pretty easy to use. And with all the auto aligning stuff, you know, you, you don't spend a lot of time to make sure something is kind of as tight as you want it to be. That's right. It's just yeah, easy. Steve Jobs has been gone a few years now, but you can still tell that was the app he used every day. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, so before we move on to software, I wanted to ask a question. So on your site, uh, you're there looking very dapper in a, in a lovely jacket. And I noticed you have an Apple Watch peeking out from your shirt, shirt sleeve. And so I, I wonder how the Apple Watch fits into your life and if that's changed over time as the watch has gotten more capable. You know, to be honest, I way underutilize the Apple Watch. You know, I, I, to be, when I, when I have notifications going off on it, I find it annoying. So mm-hmm. those are mostly turned off. I, um, and this is embarrassing to admit because, you know, it's an expensive toy for this, but I mostly use it to see the temperature, to track my steps and the time. And I also have my next appointment on it. Which Apple Watch face do you use for that? I don't know what you call this one. It's the one that's got, it's got the most stuff on it. Maybe it's a Siri face where you can scroll the appointments. Uh, yes, it's called modular. Oh, okay, yes, modular. Yeah, it's it's funny. I don't wear my Apple Watch every day anymore. But the thing I always look down at my wrist for that I find myself annoyed that I don't have is not my next appointment, but it's the weather. For some reason, I, know. Like, I do it all the time. Like I did it just today. It's it's pouring in Memphis. I was like, oh, I wonder what temperature is. Look down, and I'm not wearing Apple Watch. I'm wearing another watch. And it's like. Oh, well, you don't know, do you? You're not as very helpful in this situation. I know. I, I, I love that aspect. I feel like I'm uninformed if I don't know that. I, I guess I do use Siri also. And if for some reason I've left my phone in the other room, I, I you know, I can use the phone on it. But I, I thought I would have used it a lot more. And I keep thinking I need to, to educate myself and, and bring it up to speed. Like I love the thought of being able to go for a run without my phone. And I know that I can do that. But I just haven't figured out how to do it yet, so that's kind of dormant and not a feature that I'm accessing. Uh, my, I don't need any weather in my watch. It's fine. Oh come, oh <laughs> come California. on, oh, it's California, sure. Yeah, always sunny and beautiful. But we don't have state tax here. There is that. There's always something, and, and you don't have you don't have um, red-tailed hawks eating rattlesnakes either. Apparently, I've heard a lot of that from the listeners. <laughs> it's a very exciting moment in the podcast. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Moo. Moo is an online print and design company. They offer a variety of premium print products, including business cards, postcards, notebooks, and more. And they deliver these to happy customers all over the world. Networking is an important part of any career, whether you're a designer, a novelist, a CEO, a podcaster. And you don't want to get caught out by not having a business card at that important moment. So you can be prepared and show your creativity by having your business cards made with Moo. Great design is at the heart of what Moo does, and there's nothing like a slick, well-made business card. Not only are they super easy to design and order, but Moo business cards offer all the extra special touches. Things like gold foiling or spot gloss, allowing your artwork to truly stand out. They have thick, textured paper to choose from, giving everything you want for a high-quality, memorable business card. It's great to see your hard work on the screen, but it's even better to hold it in your hand. And you can count on Moo to help you make a great first impression. Whether you need business cards for that all-important first meeting, customized flyers for an upcoming event, or even things like stickers, greeting cards, notebooks, or postcards. Those notebooks are really nice. They're available in both soft and hardcover options. They can be customized with your brand if you're ordering more than 50, And the hardcover books have a tough, tactile cloth cover, while the soft notebooks are lightweight with sewn binding. They're seriously great quality. And you can check out their collaboration with graphic designer Kate Moross. Really fantastic looking stuff. 
Whatever you need, Moo has you covered with their easy customization options. I ordered some business cards through Moo, company logo on the front with very simple contact information on the back. It's on really heavy cardstock. Every time I hand my business card to somebody, the first thing they say is, wow, this is a nice card. And I think that helps them remember when they stick it in their pocket to look me up later. It's easy to order. The design tools are really easy to use, and I just couldn't be happier with them. You can get 15% off your order right now when you go to moo.com and use the promo code PRINT15 at checkout. That's moo.com promo code PRINT15. My thanks to Moo for their support of Mac Power Users and Relay FM. Moo, let's get physical. So, Michael, uh, we talked a lot about software uh, last time, but I, I always want to check in to see how things are going. I, I thought let's break this down a little bit to talk about what software you're using, both for your personal and for your team management. Starting with your personal, uh, how are you getting things done? You know, your email, task management, those types of apps. Anything got you excited lately? Well, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, and I think I sent you guys one. But I'm using the Full Focus Planner, so I've gone full on analog in terms of task management. But I, the truth is I use a hybrid system. Yeah. So one of the things I found, and I know I've, I've heard you talk, uh, David and Stephen, both of you, I think about um, analog systems and, and journaling analog at least. But one of the things I found is that being immersed in a digital environment, and I'm, you know, I, I love digital everything, but sometimes it works against you. And sometimes it can be an enormous distraction. And I find that managing my day outside a sort of that digital whirlwind is enormously helpful. And we've sold actually 300,000 of these planners now, and, and we have 100,000 subscribers to it who get a new planner every quarter. And the things that's, that's happening for them, we've got amazing reports and amazing testimonies from people who are just saying it's enabling them to focus like never before. So that's what I use for my day management. So it's got a kind of a traditional day page and one of the things I really believe in, and one of the things I teach in my new uh, book, Free to Focus, I talk about the big three. So, you know, the average person we found in our research, the average person has about 15 things to do on their, on their typical daily task list. And if you apply the Pareto principle to that, 20% of the effort or 20, 80% of the, the results come from 20% of the effort, that means probably about three of the tasks on that list are really the high leverage tasks that are going to drive your business or your life forward. And so we have a concept inside the planner and I teach inside of Free to Focus, which is the daily big three, which is to identify those big three. They've got to be important. They could be related to your goals. They might be an important project, but they do have to be important. Three things that if you accomplish those, you can have your, your head hit the pillow at the end of the night and feel great about the day. So I love doing that. Now, where those tasks get populated from is I use Asana currently. My whole team uses Asana. Probably, probably, to be honest, it wouldn't be my first choice, but the team loves it for project management. So, you know, I, I use it and that's where I park you know, tasks that aren't going to be done today. So if I think of something, it's going to go in Asana. But then when I'm framing up my day, I'm going to pull from Asana to pull onto my, uh, my analog planner, identify my three big tasks for today. You know, it's funny because I feel like uh, geeks often have this all or nothing approach to things. You know, you're either all in on iPad or all in on Mac, or you're all in on analog uh, planners or you're all in on digital. And to me, so often the answer to this stuff is to use both. I, I feel like you, you kind of nail it there. I do the same thing. I mean, I write some things down every day that I get done and the, the act of writing them down uh, really somehow 
it's like a magical connection because I, I always get them done if I write them down. And thank you for the book, by the way. I'm, I'm finishing up my current journal. I think I'm going to try yours for my next quarter. But the um, good, thank but, you. But but I go to that bank. I go to that bank. In my case, it's OmniFocus to to find those things. I have so many different things going. I, there's no way I could manage that on paper without spending just way too much time. And um, and I do think for a lot of people out there that are curious about this stuff, there's no reason you have to pick just one. You can do this with both mediums. You absolutely can. And in fact, I've got a blog post and maybe you guys can link to this in the show notes about my hybrid system. So I have a hybrid system and I explain how I use the, the two of those things together. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about too in the book that's, that's apropos to this is this whole freedom compass idea. You mentioned it a moment ago, but the idea is to think of all the different tasks that come into your life, all the different opportunities, all the different requests. And my problem with GTD, and I've been a GTD user since the very beginning, love David Allen's work, consider him a friend. We got to remember that that book and that concept was born in 2001, before social media, before Slack, before text messages, before the proliferation of inboxes that all of us manage today. And the one thing that I find missing from that system is a filter. And so to me, the big filter for any request that comes into my life is, is that request in my desire zone? So that's a specific free to focus term that relates to the freedom compass. But the idea is if you imagine a traditional compass where you've got north, south, east, and west, true north is where you have the intersection of your passion and your proficiency. So the things that you love doing and the things that you happen to be good at. It doesn't mean that this is the easy work. It's often, oftentimes the really hard work but it's the work that generates the results for your business. And at the end of the day, you really enjoy because you know you're good at it. South of that is the drudgery zone. So that's where you have neither passion nor proficiency. Those are usually the first things that should be eliminated, automated, or delegated, but they need to be out of your life. Then you've got what I call, this would be true East, where you've got um, uh, the distraction zone, where you've got proficiency, yes, but these things bore you because you don't have any really passion around them. For me, that would be accounting. You know, I'm really good at it. I used to keep all my own books, but it just bores me. And it's not the best and highest use of my time. But the really scary one is west on the compass, which is the distraction zone, where you've got some joy or some passionate around doing it, but you don't really do it good enough or well enough that it drives any results that are meaningful or that people are willing to pay you for. And to give you, give, give you an example, when I started blogging, this was when I would do web design or I would play with WordPress plugins or test different kinds of software. It was, it was a place I would go to escape or hide and it created a lot of fake work and it didn't drive any results. And so the key, I think, is to having a smaller to-do list and, and getting some order back in your life is to eliminate, automate, or delegate everything that's outside of your uh, desire zone. And obviously that's a journey. No, nobody can do that all at once. But I've got a shockingly small task list because I stay focused primarily my desire zone. How do you decide what goes on that list? I mean, I guess where do you get the where do you get the entries from, if that makes sense? Yeah. So what I what I do with my coaching clients is I have them go back through the last uh, two to three weeks of their calendar and their task list and write down everything they've done. And then I ask them to rate it whether they really enjoy doing it, enjoy doing that task. And are they good at that task? And then based on that, it maps into one of those four quadrants, north, south, east, or west. 
And so for for me, there's only three things that I do that are in my desire zone. Creating content, delivering content, or casting vision for my team. And there's this quote that I have in the book from Dawson Trotman. He said, never do anything that others can or will do when there's so much of importance to be done that others cannot or will not do. So I try to stay focused on only the things that I can do where I can make a unique contribution and everything else is a candidate. And and you can't always do this. Obviously, if you don't have anybody to delegate to, you can't always do this. But to the extent that you can, you want to eliminate those things. You want to try to automate them or you want to try to delegate them to somebody else so you can stay focused on the stuff that really creates the high leverage. This is how you have a life. This is why last year, for example, just to put the test you know, to the whole theory, last year, my business grew 62% and I took 160 days off. So that was every weekend and 11 weeks of vacation. And you have to understand for that offstage time, for me, that means I don't think about work. I don't talk about work. I don't read about work and I don't do work. So it was really time off. Well, uh, good for you. <laughs> I'm jealous. But I think it's possible yeah. for anybody. Yeah. My, my, I, I mean, my, my clients too, because we survey them too, but our coaching clients have uh, on average in the first 12 months in the program, they grow their business 67% and they shave 11 hours off their work week. But again, it's by focusing on the high leverage stuff and getting the fake work and the busy work out of your life so that you can, we, we call it win at work and succeed at life. And not falling prey to the hustle fallacy where you think that, you know, by just doing more stuff and sacrificing everything on the altar of ambition, that, you know, that that's the play. And some people are going to choose that and, you know, God bless them, they can do it. But that's not, that's not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. You know, I don't want to sacrifice my health or my most important relationships. But at the same time, I want to win at business. And I think the only way to do that is to completely reinvent productivity and think about it in a different way. And it's not about doing more but it's about doing the right things, not just doing more things. Yeah, I really think there's a there's something to this in the sense that in you know, as geeks, you know, a lot of folks listening to the show, I think we could classify classify ourselves as geeks. For so long we've been in this life hack mentality where, you know, we're going to get better at doing things faster and there isn't enough thought about, you know, is the ladder against the right wall or, you know, choose your cute saying right. here. And I think that suddenly people are starting to wake up to that because we're all discovering that no matter how efficient, no matter how life hacky we can get, we're running out of time. That's it. I, I start the book with this chapter on formulating a productivity vision. And the whole first part of the book is called Stop. You know, I talk about stop and the second part of the book is cut and then the third part is act. But people have sort of looked at me and said, stop. I mean, in a productivity book, we want to go. I said, no, we got to stop. We got to get off the hamster wheel and say, wait a second, you know, stop the merry-go-round to mix the metaphor. And let's ask ourselves the question, what are we doing this for? You know, what's the end game? And for me, the end game of productivity is freedom. If the productivity hack, if the tool, if the app doesn't lead to more freedom so that I can do the things I want to do, then I'm, I'm just kind of kidding myself. And I talk specifically in the book about four different kinds of freedom. You know, I want the freedom to be able to focus on the work, work that's most important. And Cal Newport's had a huge impact on me with his book, Deep Work. But in addition to that, I want the freedom to be fully present with the people that I love, with the people I'm working with, and not be somewhere else by virtue of a digital device than the place I am right now. And then I want the freedom to be spontaneous so that my life is no, not so structured and regimented 
you know, I'd be able to stop in the middle of the day to have coffee with a friend or, you know, play with the grandkids when they come over or whatever it is. But I, I want freedom. And so that's, that's kind of how I evaluate everything. Is this going to give me more freedom or less freedom? Did you ever, cause you, you strike me as a guy who's always kind of had this stuff under, under control. Were you ever at a point where you felt buried for time and oh, you know, before, like yes. the, before the things you're talking about in your book? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, in fact, I talk about this in the book, the first chapter is that, uh, back in the year 2000, I had just, uh, turned this one division of a company around and, and we had an incredible story to tell, but I did it by compromising my margin. You know, I was traveling like crazy. It wasn't home on the weekends and, uh, life was nuts. And I ended up in the emergency room three different times thinking I was having a heart attack. And, and fortunately it wasn't, but the last time I ended up going on a referral to a cardiologist who ran me through a nuclear stress test and all this stuff. And he said, look, your heart's fine. But he said, what is going on in your life? And so I started talking about the pace that I was keeping and the schedule I was keeping. And he said, here's the deal. And by the way, I wasn't exercising. My nutrition was horrible, everything. He said, here's the deal. If you don't figure out the lifestyle thing, you're going to end up here for real. And I may or may not be able to help you. And it was like a, a huge wake-up call to me. And I realized that something had to change, that I was completely out of balance, that I wasn't giving myself appropriate self-care. I wasn't paying attention to my family. I've been married for 41 years, but it nearly came off the rails then because everything was work. It was just total work. And, and you know, I think not everybody has to have a wake-up call like that. I think you can stop and say, wait a second, am I drifting or am I designing? And I think a lot of people are drifting through life without a plan, just reacting to the next thing that shows up on their agenda or their inbox. And really what my work has all been about in all of my books is about designing. And, you know, how could I design uh, the kind of life? And, and obviously we don't have total control, but like anything, when we're more intentional, we're more likely to end up at a destination that, that we would have chosen. You never drift to that kind of destination. Nobody ever drifted to you know, a better marriage or a bigger business or, you know, better health, you know, the, the, the law of second law of thermodynamics, you know, kind of mandates that the opposite happens. Things unwind, they don't get better by, uh, by accident. So I really think designing a better outcome, including productivity is, is what's important. To, to bring it back a, a second, you mentioned Asana, which is a, a team task project management tool, task management tool. Yes. And I wonder how, how those two ideas fit together. If you have uh, what you're doing in your analog system, but you have access to what your team is doing. And I assume uh, to a degree, things are passing up to you and down to them. How does that all fit together sort of at the big picture level? Yeah. So I can go into Asana and I can look at anybody else's project, you know, projects that have been shared or that have vis visibility to me. And one of the things that it really helps with is it keeps me from being a nanny with my team. Mm. So I'm not constantly asking them, you know, well, well tell me how that uh, new Full Focus Planner launch is going. You know, how's that campaign going? Well, I can look because they're updating the status. They're keeping it updated. And it just helps all of us to stay focused. And, and we use, uh, believe it or not, we use kind of the scrum methodology, agile management in our company. We, we run in uh, one-week sprints. And that's been hugely helpful for our company as well to keep us focused on a narrow band of things that are due this week. And then when we're done, or if I happen to interject, you know, as the CEO, some crazy idea, and I want it done now, of course, you know, I've given them permission to say to me, um, hey, that's a great idea. 
We'll put it in the backlog in Asana and we'll consider it for next week's sprint. So it keeps me from pulling everybody off task. How many times have they pulled that card on you? Uh, Usually about once a week. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU to save money and stop drowning in email. Email is the problem that Almost nobody can solve because the more you deal with it, the more it comes at you. That's why I love our sponsor, SaneBox. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. SaneBox works with all kinds of email programs and services. So if you've got one email application one week and another one the next week, most likely SaneBox is going to have no problem as you switch around. You don't have to have a special app to get all of these tools. As I keep going on my email client spirit quest, SaneBox follows me from one to the next. There's so much to love about SaneBox. It's got some great email filtering like the Sane Later folder. This allows you to keep only in your inbox those things that really matter to you. And on the opposite side of that, there's the same black hole, where you can unsubscribe with one click. You can snooze email with SaneBox, which is great for deferring email till the next business day or the weekend. Heck, I even use it to defer email to the afternoon, so my inbox is empty as I work through the day. And perhaps my favorite feature of SaneBox is Sane Reminders. Whenever I send in an email to someone that's important and I want to make sure I get a response... I just blind copy it to one week at samebox.com. Then if the receiver doesn't reply, I get an email reminder in one week to follow up. And Samebox is also more than filtering. You can move attachments to Dropbox and other cloud services. And there's just a bunch of features. Samebox is power tools for your email. And they have various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. You get a 14-day free trial. Just go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and receive a $25 credit on any plan. Now, the SaneBox folks love Mac Power Users listeners. There are so many people that listen to the show that have tried and subscribed to SaneBox that they gave us this really nice, sweet discount of $25. So once again, that's SaneBox.com slash MPU. Just try it out for the free two weeks. I bet you'll like it. Thanks, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Michael, before we had the break, you had mentioned that you did these one-week sprints. Um, tell me a little bit about how that's working out for you and um, and ways that you know, you've enjoyed using that or, or problems you've had and, and how you're managing that. Yeah, well, we manage the whole thing in Asana and each team. So we have a content team, we have a marketing team, we have an operations team, we have a finance team. I don't think I'm leaving anything else. Uh, Customer experience team too. So they all get together on a weekly basis for their planning meeting. And they consider, you know, the promotional calendar, the stuff that we've already committed to, what we're going to roll out this year, what our goals are for this year. And so they're contemplating what they think they can reasonably get done in this one week sprint. Previously, we had the marketing team running on a two week sprint. Everybody else was on a one week sprint. But now we've consolidated it to a one-week sprint. So there's that meeting. Some In some groups, that takes 45 minutes. And, and I think the marketing group takes about two hours. They map out everything they're going to do. And then they, they tackle it. And inside of Slack, they use a little plugin called GeekBot, which that enables them to create a stand-up meeting every day. Are you familiar with that tool? Not that one. But I mean, there's a lot of great plugins for Slack. So I'll check it out. Yeah. 
And this one just asks you uh, questions like, you know, what are your big three for today? And what did you get done today? And so they report in. So it creates some accountability among the team members. And um, so they use that to keep track of it. And then they, the first part of every weekly planning meeting is how far did we get last week? And it's amazing. I, I just asked this question at our um, uh, all-employee meeting today. I said, how much of your uh, tasks do you, are you typically getting done on a weekly basis? And the, the consensus was pretty about, about 90%. And I, I can tell a, a definite um, improvement in execution since we implemented that methodology. Uh, it seems like things go faster, things are more focused, just things get done much better with less uh, balls being dropped. You know, it's funny because we all, I mean, I talk about, I have a, a separate podcast where we talk about productivity stuff. You've written many books. To me, so often this just comes down to, having the guts to make a hard decision about what you're going to do. It's like, if you can just get over that, so, so many doors open for you. So true. I, I think the biggest challenge all of us have is with saying no. And I've got a whole chapter in the book on, on that, on elimination. I, I feel like I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I'm also one of those people that, you know, suffers from FOMO. And so, you know, the fear of missing out, uh, there's also this other disease called photo, the fear of disappointing others. And then there's FOCO, fear of conflict with others. And, and I think I've got all three of those. So it makes <laughs> it hard to say no. But the thing that really, really helps me, David, is, is realizing that there's a bigger yes that I'm saying yes to. So if I can put the no in the context of the bigger yes, it's easier to say no to that thing that, that's, that's trying to grab my attention at this moment. So all those different distractions that come in when you're trying to run a, a scrum system, they keep you from accomplishing the things that you've already set as your list of your, your, your agenda for this week. And I think once you begin to taste, you know, sort of the, the, the sweetness of execution and actually accomplishing stuff, you can kind of see those distractions for what they are. And we've created a system because of the backlog where we've got a way to deal with those so that they don't, they don't derail us in the moment. Yeah, I've got a text file. Maybe you should add a page to your planner where I just write down every time I say no to something. I just Ooh, that's good. Just keep a log of it. And it does help me to go back and look at that. And I've said no to some pretty great things uh, over the years. And that really kind of helps me. But I, I do think this is a problem, uh, a lot of us. I think we're all, what is it, FOMO, photo, focos, I guess. Yeah. We're all that. I mean, at some point. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Speaking of, of fear of missing out, last time you were on, you had built an entire streaming studio in your house. Yes. <laughs> Are you still using that? I am. In fact, I just upgraded it um, a month ago. So I had the, the good people from Livestreaming Pros come out, and I was using a system called Livestream that was acquired by Vimeo, and then they went dark like for a year, and there were no upgrades or updates or anything. And so in the meantime, uh, my friends at Live Streaming Pros had moved over to a system called vMix, V as in Victor, vMix, and it's phenomenal. I love it. It is so much easier and so automated. And, you know, you don't have to do this to produce video, but D David, for you especially, as much video as you produce, it, it is amazing to be able to just walk in there and turn the thing on. And I can literally operate it myself and have, you know, beautiful videos produced that pretty much, I mean, it's almost, you know, plug and play, just push one button and start recording. And you same, still got the same lighting and, and cameras, but you just changed the software platform. Is that, 
I, I did. Yeah, yeah, we did We did install one more camera. I've got an overhead camera now so that when we're, for example, demonstrating the planner or something that I'm riding on, we've got a camera that we can cut to that's, you know, over my shoulder. And how often are you streaming? Uh, usually it, it goes in, it goes in waves, but like this week, probably three times. And typically when I'm doing like podcast interviews like this that are also video, I'll do them from the studio. And so I'm able to use Zoom in that context and I use all the studio cameras, run it through vMix and I don't do this. But like even webinars, we can do through uh, Zoom, but we can control the lower thirds and cut in slides and, you know, very fancy configurations. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of use out of it. I'll tell you, since the last time we spoke, you've, you've got all the industry lingo down. I, I suspect you're getting pretty good at this stuff. Well, you know, there's, there's nothing like being invested in it. And, and the value to me is having it in my home where I can literally just walk up and, and do it right there in my home. Yeah. Steven, you've got something like that as well. I mean, you pretty much, you, how long does it take you to get started recording? I mean, I, I, I do have to set up the camera and stuff every time, but I've got it down pretty quick. But one thing I did add was you're talking about that overhead shot. Uh, I built a, a whole rig so I've, I can mount a camera very quickly. Some stuff I want to do is like product photography and shooting down to have something on a desk is not particularly easy. No. And if you're in a small space like I am, it's a lot of those solutions are pretty bulky. And so I ended up just building a desk that could handle it sort of on its own. But yeah, I, I wish I could have something more sort of turnkey where I could just walk in and hit record. But for me, the uh, my tiny little studio out here just doesn't have the square footage. I But I know, now Michael is cheating a little bit because his daughters have grown up and moved out. So I understand you've just been taking over rooms, right? I, I t- took over a bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm still stuck out here behind the garage. So uh, I keep threatening to my wife that I'm going to take over the garage, and she is not having any of that conversation. So I think I'm stuck with my 200 square feet for a while. I got to tell you one hack I did that was kind of cool. So I wanted different sets, but I got basically it's it's an old Victorian home, so we have high ceilings. That's good, but it's still a bedroom, right? So what I did was I had a photography friend of mine come in and shot various scenes in my house that we had shot video in before. And then I had him put them totally uh, kind of out of focus a little bit. So it looked like bokeh. Mm -hmm. And then we mounted these on big screens behind me. So you cannot tell. It looks like, for example, I'm in front of my library. and I've got this beautiful library behind me and all these books, but it's all printed on a screen. It's not green screen because that's a challenge to light, but it's on the screen behind me. And so we can swap those out so quickly and it's a really nice little hack oh man I, now i have to go watch some of your videos and try and figure out which ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great i mean i i uh i have set up a studio it takes me about 30 minutes to go from law practice to studio though and that that is a problem i mean even though it's only 30 minutes there's a big difference between that and just walking in and throwing a few switches and starting well i i found that i wasn't live streaming as often as i should because i just go you know it's just too much hassle and I'd kind of forget from time to time what the settings were supposed to be. And then I forget something when I got started. And so having it all set up and, and literally I have one master switch that makes the lights and the computers and everything come up. And then I've got this thing called X keys that sits on my desk. I have a uh, up desk that uh, is adjustable. And so I've got that where I can cut to the shots and all that. I, I usually do have a production manager in there working with me, but I can do all the simple stuff in there, including live streaming uh, by myself. And, and being able to not have to futz with everything and have to get it set up 
it, it makes it just very easy. And I, I find that I want to do it more. So do you now as somebody who really got, you know, cut his teeth in this business, writing books, how has the transition to video gone for you? It, it was uh, for a long time doing video was in on the Freedom Compass. There's a middle circle called the development zone. And this is where you put all the stuff. You're just not quite sure yet. Yeah. And so initially I hated video. I was so OCD about it. So I'd, I I had a DCLR. I had some Canon. I can't remember what it was now, but it was a, a Canon camera. And I asked my wife to come in. I said, look, I just need to do this five minute promotional video. Would you come in and just help me with this? So she came in. So I'd, I'd get about, you know, two minutes in, make a mistake, have to start over. So I'd go into this doom loop. And after doing about 50 takes, my wife says, hey, I thought you said this is going to be like 10 minutes. It's been an hour. I got stuff to do. Yeah. And, and so, but, but over time, and especially I find that having other people in the room working with me, I'm less likely to go into that sort of that OCD space. And, uh, but I've developed competency at it. So like yesterday, I had to record four promotional videos. They were each about five minutes long. And I was working off a teleprompter, which I've gotten really good at that. And I did them all in one take. And so years ago, I could not have done that. But after doing thousands of hours of it, it just, it's, it's easier. And I actually enjoy it, which I never thought I'd say. You know, I love that phrase doom loop because it describes so much of my life. <laughs> That's great. Well, are you still teleprompting off the iPad or what's your, um, what's your gear for that? No, I use, um, I use an iPad that's got, or not an iPad, but I've got just this monitor. I don't, I wish I could tell you the name of it, but um, it's a, it's a bigger kind of monitor so that it's actually hooked up through HDMI to a MacBook Air. Yeah. And then I'm uh, running a program. I think it's called Power Prompter. And so it's on the desk and I literally can control it. And I have this little swivel ball thing. I can't remember what that name of that one is either, but I control the whole thing myself, the speed of the teleprompter. I can speed it up and slow it down depending on the pace of, of my voice. I've tried some of those iPad ones that are supposed to uh, change with the pacing of your voice. They listen to you, you know, sound recognition and all that. I've never had very good luck with that. Yeah, me either. Me either. Do, do you teleprompt, uh, do you write out everything you're going to say or is it just ideas and concepts? I, I do both. So there are times when I'll just be more, you know, extemporaneous and I'll just have the talking points and I'll just vamp. And a lot of the live streaming stuff is is that way. I don't I don't do it heavily scripted. When it's a sales video or when it's something where I'm I'm doing a content video, I'm teaching, you know, like for one of my courses, then that's pretty much scripted out word for word. But even there I'll vamp on it. But because I'm controlling the teleprompter, I know when I'm going off script and I know how to get back into it. There have been times when I've had somebody else trying to run the teleprompter and they get lost too, and then we're both lost. What's been the uh, biggest challenge for you in terms of, of switching over to the live streaming and the video stuff? I, I think just getting comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, I think I tend to be a perfectionist and I think that really works against you in, in live streaming. Um, I, I think that when you're, when you authentically make mistakes, which is not hard for me, but when you authentically make mistakes and just can kind of laugh them off and keep going, or you have tech problems and you just can acknowledge them. People love that. You know, it makes them feel like they're normal too. And, and I remember there's, there's one guy that's a, an internet marketer who's had enormous success on video, but he's like, when you watch him, you go, you know what? He's not that good. I think I could do that. And it, it, it empowers you in a weird kind of way. Whereas you watch somebody that's really slick and you go, no way I could do that. 
Yeah, I, I was just talking to uh, uh, an editor this morning about some of my videos, and I was explaining, no, sometimes I leave mistakes in on purpose because if it's yeah. an instructional video, it helps people realize, oh, you do mistakes, mm -hmm. this is how you fix it. And it, it's a weird thing. You don't want it to necessarily be perfect. And uh, that's also a relief for uh, <laughs> for somebody who's not perfect like me. <laughs> me too. Well, and video is so multifaceted as far as – you have to get the audio right, which we talked last week about with Renee Ritchie about how that, that's just – that could just be difficult. That's just a hard problem to solve. Then you have the video aspect of it. Then it has to be interesting. And there's so many different ways, uh, at least for me when I was starting with my little tech videos of like watching somebody like MKBHD who's shooting on it, you know, a $10,000 8K red camera. Like, okay, I'm not going to be there yet, but I can make concrete improvements every time I hit record. Then that's enough for me and enough for my – audience. And I think biting off one thing and getting that right before moving on to the next thing can be how you grow in this. But like you said, it just takes time to be comfortable and time to feel confident when you're on camera of what you're good at and, and what you're not and what you're okay with, you know, leaving in it and showing people. I, I had some advice from a friend one time. He said, you know, always watch yourself on video. And I used to do this when I would, would speak, watch myself. And it was really painful. But I caught myself doing things like I realized that I never smiled when I spoke and, you know, caught things that I would have caught otherwise. And he said, when you watch yourself, he said, one of two things will happen. You'll improve or you'll quit. And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, the fastest way to improve is to watch yourself or listen to yourself on, on your podcast. And you, you catch stuff that um, you think you did it one way, but when you hear it or watch it, it's usually a different experience. Oh, and if you edit yourself, like, you know, like I'm going to edit this episode. You are intimately aware with all the little things you do and other people do when you're staring at the waveforms. Believe me. I know. All the pops and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Yeah. Steven sent me a, a waveform of the sound of my mic, my mic uh, mute switch turning off and on the other day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can just see it now. I don't even have to hear it. I know what it looks like. <laughs> wow. Who knew? Well, it, it's it's impressive what you've done, and I, and I do like that you know you are you're expanding your horizons with this stuff. I, I think that um, you know having a professional help you set this stuff up is is good. If you're out there listening, though, you don't have to do it that way. That's right. I, you know we um, we had a guest on here just last month who his his uh, tripod was a cardboard box that he cut a hole in, and uh, I think every step in between that is is a uh, possible out there to get started with this stuff and and video is the way of the future in a lot of ways. No doubt, and I I think you're so right, David. I mean, you got to start where you are. I've got a friend John Acuff that says you know never compare your middle with somebody else's end, and you know I've I've gone through all those phases where I, it was just me and a and a cheap camera, and I've shot lots of stuff on iPhone, and I've you know had the cheap you know, gorilla tripod and all that stuff. And, you know, you just graduate a little bit and, um, you know, invest more as you're able. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I hope that I have a different studio 10 years from now than what I have today, but you got to use what you've got to get to the next level. So that can never be an excuse, uh, to not do something. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by text expander from smile. Text expander is the tool. It sits in your menu bar and it is waiting for you to activate it with a short keystroke. So, some fun examples I use all the time are things like dates and email addresses. Instead of typing my email address over and over, I can just do semicolon SRF, and I have that expand out to Stephen at relay.fm. Or the date, 
semicolon dd and i get the date the way i like it formatted wherever i am typing and the new text expander 6.5 for mac os and 2.0 for windows they support a new visual editor for snippets this means that if you use features like uh, snip and fill-ins dates date math nested snippets and more it's way easier to do and these things can really just supercharge your use of text expander you can insert words, phrases, forms, templates, and more with just a couple of key clicks. Again, anywhere you type. Take control of your time and productivity by letting Text Expander handle your repetitive typing tasks. And if you're in love with Text Expander like I am and want to tell people about it, you can join the affiliate program to earn a little extra. Now, because you're a listener of Mac Power Users, if you sign up for Text Expander, you get 20% off your first year. So visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander and get that 20% off. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. Be sure to tell them the Mac Power User sent you. Before we, uh, when we were talking about some of this, the concepts in your book, you talked about, you know, how do you deal with that problem when you realize you don't have enough time and, and you're having all these issues. I know lately uh, Cal Newport just wrote a new book called Digital Minimalism, but he by far is not the only one. We had Jocelyn Gly on the show last year to talk about some of these same concepts. How do you see this kind of emerging thought about monitoring our mobile devices and getting yourself to that point of focus? Yeah, you know, I guess initially with the iPhone and, and the iPad, like everyone else, you know, I was bedazzled and enraptured and captivated by what these devices could do. And, and, you know, just amazing. And the capabilities has done nothing but grow exponentially. And then last August, when I was on my uh, sabbatical, I read a book um, and I may butcher his name. You may know how to pronounce it, but Jaron Lanier's book, uh, 10 reasons to get off or 10 arguments for getting off social media right now. And, you know, it was very compelling, but it was also very extreme. And he's a technologist, you know, he's in Silicon Valley. He's got a unique perspective, but it was frightening when you consider that you've got a lot of these tech companies with billions of dollars and many of them with a business model based on advertising and uh, with their interests completely different than ours. In other words, they're trying to capture our attention, repackage it and sell it to advertisers. So, so Facebook has a vested interest, a business interest in keeping keeping us engaged in their platform as much as possible, and they employ an army of psychologists to do that. They understand dopamine. They understand all the rest. Cal Newport, though, you know, being a Georgetown professor, uh, being a professor of computer science, when he wrote his book Digital Minimalism, I thought, okay, this felt much more doable. It didn't feel so extreme. You know, Cal acknowledges that that there's reasons for these devices and all that, but it really did challenge me, and so I took my very expensive uh, iPhone smartphone and turned it into a dumb phone. Uh, I love the camera. I use the camera all the time, but I removed email. I removed Slack. I removed all social media except Instagram because I'm trying to build my Instagram following. But even there, I used iOS uh, screen time function to limit my use of Instagram to 30 minutes a day. And so that worked fine. Till when I would pass that boundary, uh, iOS would ask me if I wanted to extend the limit for the day. Have you bumped up against that? So you 
can just defeat it, right? You can just say, yeah, forget it for the rest of the day or give me another 15 minutes. So I gave it to my wife and I said, I want you to enter the passcode and I don't, and I don't want you to tell me the password. <laughs> okay, that's serious, brother. So man, I'm, I'm serious now. So the funny thing about it is I've never bumped against, up against it uh, since that time. But what I'm finding now, and this took about maybe a week and a half, uh, I, I, I found myself just reflexively pulling my iPhone and just looking at it in those moments when I got bored or those moments when I was waiting in line or otherwise not occupied. And now there's nothing to look at. So I don't do that. So I get involved in conversations with people or maybe I'll, I'll read or I'll just enjoy the moment and think. And it, it, I kind of had to go through this detox period, but I've, I've found that enormously liberating. And so now I'm on about month three of this process since uh, reading an early copy of Cal's book. And I've found it very liberating. Yeah, I think a lot of people are waking up to this and, and not necessarily going the full route of taking all the apps off their phones, but just becoming more self-aware of how much you're using this. Yeah. Uh, the tools that, that Apple added in iOS 12, I think are helpful. And even though it's easy to click that box, give me more time, that's still an, a thing you have to do. And that's, it is a bit of a speed bump for a, a lot of folks. That's it. You're looking for a little bit more friction on the things that can seduce you into giving up your time for free and avoiding the things that are really going to be important, the high leverage tasks that, you know, again, move the needle in your, in your business. So that's what, that's what I like about it. And I still, you know, I still use my, my phone uh, quite a bit. I mean, I, my gym workout, I use my app for that. Um, you know, I'm consuming, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll use my news reader. I use reader. Um, and I'll use that to, to look at some RSS feeds and I'll even read on my Kindle, uh, on my phone, definitely use it for podcasts. I'm using that every day at the gym. So there's still a lot that I can use my phone for, but it's just not these, these low value kind of downhill tasks that don't really add anything, but consume a lot of time. Steven, I know one of the reasons why you're less interested in your Apple watch is kind of related to that. It, it is. I feel, and I think I'm the, on the opposite end of how a lot of people feel about the Apple Watch in this context where they feel like the Apple Watch allows them to leave their phone behind and if something's really important and they have it set up correctly to your point earlier, then the watch would alert them. But for me, it was like, well, if I set my phone down, I'm still tethered somewhat. Uh, even if I, all I have is all I have coming to the watch is iMessage, even that is more than I want in those moments where I want to put my phone down. And I think the watch can be a really powerful tool in this regard in in marriage with screen time. And and if you go in there and go to the watch app and deal with those notifications, like you said, I mean, when you set up an Apple watch, it's all just wide open. You know, my wife is, uh, has one. I got it for her uh, maybe six months ago. And that's what I said to her. I was like, hey, when we unbox this, the first thing we're going to do is go in and turn off all the stuff that it's on by default because no one needs that fire hose. I mean, you can't get anything done otherwise. Or the way it installs all of the apps, like the default is anything that can be installed on the Apple Watch, please install on the Apple Watch. Yeah. It's nuts. Do not want. Yeah, but I do think that this digital minimalism thing is related to the stuff that Michael writes about. And and it's all of one, you know, in the sense that we've got this problem where we got all these distractions and we've got all these things on our lists and it's very hard to figure out what is important and, you know, what can I 
what's important enough for me to just drop everything and work on that? And how much better could my life get if I just figured that out? That's huge. And I think that, that that's where the daily big three really helps me. I mean, if you think about it, most people set up a game they can't win. They get up in the morning, have 15 to 20 tasks on their list. They know they're not going to accomplish them. They feel overwhelmed when they get up in the morning. They're going to do their best. But even if they get 10 or 12 of those tasks done, they still feel like they failed because they're still, you know, three to five to eight, 10 maybe tasks that are left undone. To put yourself in that situation where you get up feeling overwhelmed and go to bed feeling defeated because you didn't get that much done, you know, it's, it's just time to step back and say, can't we create a better game that we can actually win? You know, and what are those, those few tasks that if I get done, I'm going to make significant progress. It's not going to be everything, but it's going to be the important things that really are going to make a difference. Yeah, I've done something similar. I need to update my OmniFocus field guide in the sense that I've added, using tags, I've added kind of higher, a couple levels of priority so I can search through a, a medium list to get down to a very hot list, or I call them big rocks, where there's only four or five things a day. And using that method has really helped me make sure that the big stuff gets done. But but everybody's got to have their own way of skinning that cat. And it's not the same for everyone. Yeah, I think productivity is a very personalized thing. And what works for one person is not going to work, work for someone else. And and this is why I think, you know, it's, it's important to stay focused on the principles and not the particular apps. And I get asked this question all the time, and you guys probably do too. You know, what's the best task manager? And, and I always say, you know, the best task manager is the one you'll use because there are thousands of them out there and you can spend a lot of time. Talk about the distraction zone. You can spend yeah. a lot of time on the quest for the holy grail of task managers. And just as soon as you find it, you're going to be looking for something else because it, it's a distraction from doing the important work that, that really matters. And I'm not saying you should do your research, but I'm saying at some point, there's not that much difference between all these. You know, and, and they've all got similar features and the longer they've been out, the more they become similar. And the important thing is just find one you like, you know, maybe it's got a certain aesthetic to it or certain features that you like, but just stick with it. You know, the switching cost is not worth the effort. You had mentioned to us before we start recording that you've been a day one user for years. I have. So my wife got, got me uh, journaling back in 2011. And I said to her, I said, um, I, I'm not a journaler. You know, that just, that just doesn't appeal to me. I've tried to do that and I don't like it. And yeah. she said, I just want you to try it. She said, I just think you need some kind of practice or reflection in your life just to kind of think about what's going on so that you're not constantly, you know, just moving through life without reflecting. So I said, okay, I'll try it. And like everything, I was kind of set up as an experiment. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for three weeks and then I'll decide whether I like it. And so, of course, I went in search of a app. And day one, I don't know when they came out. Do you guys know? They've been around a long time. Yeah. So, so I did it. And, and one of the things I quickly uh, ran into was what are you supposed to write? You know? And so that was, that felt overwhelming. And I, I heard you guys talking about on your episode about, you know, you're writing it for history's sake and for posterity. And that feels like an overwhelming burden. And am I just writing it for myself and all that? So long story short, I came up with a series of eight questions that I still use to this day, that it's a prompt for me that all I have to do is answer the questions. So then it becomes like a conversation with myself. And I've been pretty faithful. I wouldn't, I, I definitely don't do it seven days a week, but I would say that pretty consistently five days a week. And one of my favorite features in day one is that on this day feature. And I'm just amazed when I go back to see what I was doing on the same day years ago. 
Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I just, I, I like the writing experience inside of day one. You know, I'm, I, since they've moved a little bit away from the markdown, you know, functionality, I mean, it's still there, but it's, it's more invisible now. I'm not yeah. sure what I think quite about that yet, but, uh, but still, I like the app and I love the fact that the developers are active and keep, keep improving it. Now, are you, are you using just one journal or multiple? Yeah, I'm just using one. one. Although when I listen to you guys talk about this, my head is kind of spun off. Uh, but I was saying to you before the show too, that the challenge now is which bucket does it go in? Because I've heard you guys talk about drafts, you know, and I just downloaded that. That looks amazing. Notion. Oh my gosh, that really captivated me. And I thought I was going to completely give up Evernote for Notion. And then I found, nah, it's not really an Evernote replacement. I don't even know what it is, but it's cool. So I, you know, try to figure out where to put this stuff. Then Ulysses, you know, there's all these different things. Where does it all go? Yeah, that, that is a real problem. I mean, and some of the feedback we got from that show is people saying, well, that's great, but, you know, we, I do it in a different application, or why do I need to use this one? And the, I don't really have a good answer for that. That was a whole thread in the forums. I think that you use, just like you were talking about task managers, uh, where you're going to write your words down, use what works for you. And uh, right. we even talked in that episode about you can use a text file or or whatever you want. But the the tools in day one for me justify using that tool for that for that specific task. But um, I also believe that you know bucket inflation, if that can be a, a term, is a problem. And having a different app for everything you do isn't necessarily the solution. No, that's exactly right. In fact, in our company, we went through a review of our tech stack. And that's not a term I was used to using, but some of the guys in my company said, we got to review our tech stack. So I said, okay. So we had- Sounds fancy. Yeah, so fancy. So we had all these different applications that we were using. And what happens in a team is that it creates a lot of complexity and everybody gets kind of half good at a lot of different stuff. And so what we did was we boiled it down and we said, we're going to use Google Docs. You can use whatever you want individually, but for collaboration, if it's going to be a document that we have to share, it's got to be in Google Docs, not Evernote, not Workflowy, which some people were using, not Notion. It's got to be Google Docs, not the perfect app, a lot of limitations, but it's got enough. And so that's been probably one of the best decisions that we've made. We, we said Asana is going to be where we're going to consolidate our tasks. So we did that kind of in every major uh, category. And it's been a really, really good decision. It feels like it's made everything simpler and, and easier. Well, it was, it's a point of resistance when your team doesn't know which tool they're supposed to use for whatever they're doing. Well, and, and it becomes almost a political thing, you know, I mean, like people campaign for certain tools and everybody has their own <laughs> tools and, you know, that it's kind of the war of the tools. There's a picket line for the Evernote people, you know, just, <laughs> uh, but, it, it, but you're right. People do get invested. Like when I suggested Basecamp for the show, Steven was pretty clear. That's not something he wanted to do. That's, that's true. I mean, I won't say that I threatened to burn everything down, but I just can't, can't <laughs> do it. Close. Can't do it, man. <laughs> But but then like for some of my legal and uh, other Max Barkey stuff because I the reason I suggested is because I already paid for it so I'm like okay I have this thing, but the um, my less tech savvy coworkers Basecamp has been great that it it's like right at their level and um, so you're right you got to find the right tech stack, uh, but it sounds to me like you're also still doing a lot of management and hopefully staying out of the stack as much as you can yeah. I, I, I really do. I, I really believe in delegation. I think we talked about that last time I was on the show. And um, I, I really, 
try to delegate and let my team do stuff that they're great at and I'm not so good at. And I try to say no to everything I can uh, so that I can say yes to those things, those few things where, where I really can make my highest and best contribution. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain and award-winning templates and more. So maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. It doesn't matter because Squarespace is there for you. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. What I like about Squarespace is that it works for everybody. Whether you're the most basic user or whether you're an advanced user, Squarespace can work with you. I use Squarespace to run my law website and maxsparky.com, and I'd like to say I'm a fairly advanced user, but I always find ways to tweak the site and make it run just a little bit better with Squarespace. Now, on the flip side, I've had several people come to me and ask for help with a website, and I've set them up with Squarespace accounts. These are folks that really have trouble dealing with anything technical, but they have no problem with just the barest amount of training from me. They get a beautiful looking website and they don't have to worry about any problems. And best of all, I'm not on the hook for regular maintenance of somebody else's website. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and offer code MPU for that 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So we've, we've been talking around it throughout the episode, but I just wanted to tell everyone I've read the new book, Free to Focus, that Michael just released. It's great. Um, I think it's a good starting off point for some of the stuff that we've been talking about here. If you think that you want to try and get more focus, but you're not sure where to start. Um, I really like the way, Michael, you wrote this in kind of everyday language. It's not a bunch of snake oil sale, you know, self-improvement nonsense. It, it's just stuff that people can use on the ground. Thank you. I think you did a great job. Thank you so much. What, what is the, um, what's the problem you're trying to solve with this book? I think the problem is overwhelm. People on the cusp of burnout, feeling like they can't scale anymore. Um, they're stuck and they're frustrated. And I think what I wanted to lay out there was the promise that you really can achieve more. You don't have to give up kind of your hope and your dream of, for growing your business or for attending to the most important parts of your personal life, but you do have to rethink what you're doing and not all tasks are created equal. And that's again, one of the, my, one of the issues with, with GTD from my perspective. And again, so much I appreciate about it. It was kind of like every task is created equal. And if, if you have an incoming task, it goes on a list. And that's why a lot of my clients end up with lists of, you know, hundreds of items and just kind of lost in a sea of lists. And a lot of my clients have said they spent more time managing their lists than actually doing the work. And so I want to get kind of get away from that 
and say, look, let's go back and ask ourselves the, the fundamental question of what's the purpose of productivity? What is it? What problem are we trying to solve with this? And I think we're trying to be more productive so that we can have more freedom for the things that matter most. And that, then that really takes relooking at this um, sort of from the outside in and completely recreating it. And so I talk about, as you know, in the book, things about like rejuvenation. There's, there's hardly anything you could do that will make you more productive than a good night's sleep. You know, the science says that when you're well-rested, you're going to be more focused. You're going to be more productive. Things are easier. You don't have to keep doing things over and over, less mistakes, all the rest. So some of this isn't really inside of apps or productivity systems, but in some other bigger system issues like our whole methodology of rejuvenation. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm a believer, brother. (laughs) Good, good, good. So so for folks listening, uh, what's some ways they can get tactical about this right now? I mean, if, if this is something you're thinking about, what could you do today to help yourself get past some of these things? Yeah, one of the things I would do is I would take my task list and I'd said, of all the things I've got on my task list, what are the three most important things I could do today? So that's a little simple, easy win. Do that for three weeks. See if it makes a difference in your life. Do it every day. Three big things every day. And you can still have the other things. I call it the junk door drawer of task list, the other tasks. But identify the three things that need to get done every day and consider to win when you get those things done. Another thing I would say is use hard boundaries around your time. And I talk about this in a chapter where on consolidation where I talk about the ideal week. You know how productive you are on that Friday before you leave for vacation? Yeah. You know, it's like insane how much stuff you get done because you're about to fly out or drive out or get on a train or something, but there's a, there's a hard deadline. What if you did that every day? And so for me, my day starts at nine o'clock. I have a hard boundary at six o'clock, uh, 6 PM. I use automated lighting. So the lights in my office, literally everything goes dark at 6 PM. <laughs> I love it. It's a great trigger for me to walk away. And, and again, my rule is I'm not going to think about work, talk about work, read about work or do work after 6 PM or on the weekends. Here's the practical effect of what that has, of what happens. In the old days, in the middle of the afternoon, I would just say to myself, you know, if I don't get this done, no big deal. I'll just crack open the laptop when I get home and keep working on it. Or I'll do it on Saturday morning. And that's what I did. And so work encroached into everything. Now what I say is six o'clock is coming. I have got to finish this task. And when I do that, I'm less likely to go check Facebook, less likely to get engaged in a meaningless conversation with somebody because I got work to get done. So those hard boundaries, those constraints actually give me the freedom that I'm after. So those would be a couple quick wins. Yeah. You light your own fuse, basically. Oh, I love that. I, you know, I do something similar because I find that if I spend an hour at the end of the day planning tomorrow, I get twice as much done tomorrow as if I don't. And I've tried to hack around it by waking up early to do it and, or, or planning my day on the fly as I go through it. But for me, it's that shutdown. It's so important. And uh, so much so that I decided I had to get uh, a little uh, extreme about it because I get working in the afternoon. I'm, I'm like getting to the rhythm on something. And I always say, well, I'm not going to shut. I don't have time to do the shutdown. I'm, I'm making progress. And so I set up in keyboard maestro thing that at four 30 every day, it literally quits every app on my Mac and it puts a, a message on the screen says time to shut down. And it's, <laughs> I, I, that's, that's radical. I love that. Now I'm not quite that radical, but I do have uh, a keyboard maestro thing that in the middle of the night shuts everything down so that when I get up in the morning, only the stuff for my morning ritual is, is open. 
Yeah. But you have taken it, my friend, to a totally different level. Well, you know, it's funny because I've only been doing this now a couple months, but that's what finally solved the problem for me. And and I hadn't thought about it until the way you were explaining your lights, but that is in the back of my head after lunch every day. It's like, I got till 4.30 and and this thing is going <laughs> to shut me out. So I got to get this work done. And um, it, it's funny how we hack these things, but it's really had a, a positive impact for me. I love the metaphor of light your own fuse. I'm going to totally steal that. Go for I'll it. I'll give you credit the first it's, three times. It's all yours. <laughs> it's all yours. But I think people look at this stuff and just feel overwhelmed with even how to begin. And Michael, one thing I really love about y'all's work is this isn't necessarily a, a take everything in your life and take it to the curb type situation. We can pick one or two small, really concrete, tangible things, and that's enough to get started. You don't have to go out and, and change everything about your life. Absolutely. I mean, this is a journey, you know, and I, and I've, I've taken a long time and a lot of work to get where I'm at and I'm, and I'm not where I, I want to be. I've got a long ways to go, but I think that, you know, people have to start where they are. People are in different seasons of life. I, I can do in my season of life, something very different than, than Stephen, what you may be able to do. You know, I'll, I'm an empty nester. All my kids are gone. Uh, so I don't have that additional constraint, but you know, when you have small children, you know, that's, that's a different season. And so I think you've got to take into consideration the season you're, you're in and be reasonable with your expectations because I find that, yeah, I don't know if you guys saw that 60 minutes show where they were trying to find the happiest nation, you know, in the world. And as it turns out, it, it, the, the Danish people were the, the happiest people in the world. And so they were interviewing this guy, the man on the street. And they said, well, why do you think that is? And he said, low expectations. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> The more I've thought about that, the more I've thought that's really true. You know, it's, we, we set these huge expectations for ourselves and sometimes they're unreasonable. And then we find ourselves like, like Dan Sullivan, who's my coach, says you find yourself measuring the gap, not the gain. You know, instead of how much I did get done and what I did accomplish, we find ourselves measuring what we didn't accomplish, what we didn't uh, achieve. And, that, and that's a recipe for depression or discouragement. And I don't want that. Nobody wants that. One of the lessons I've learned with my computer shutting me out at 4.30 and doing the daily planning is that uh, if I look at realistically the agenda for the next day, like today is a good example. I had to go to my daughter's school um, as we're starting to do college planning for number two, and I had to record this podcast, and I realized, you know what, I'm not going to get much done tomorrow except those two things, and uh, and that's okay because that's that, w- that was the truth anyway. I could have given myself 10 things to do, but they wouldn't have got done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but by kind of forcing myself out of the system and then kind of doing this analog shutdown process I do, it actually really does help me be more realistic. And I think you can apply that on the granular as well as the grand. It works both ways. I think it does too. Well, well Michael, you're also a geek like the rest of us. Uh, before you go, I, I always want to hear some of your favorite little gems that uh, that are bringing you to light, whether it's something on your iPad, your Mac, or maybe a little piece of hardware you bought to keep your operation running. Well, um, I use so many of the same apps that you use. I, I'm endlessly fascinated with Keyboard Maestro, and I have probably spent an inordinate amount of time trying to automate things that will save me seconds. But I still just enjoy, there's nothing that gives me more joy than getting an automation set up and it works right. Same thing with text expander, you know, just trying to kind of find, uh, and now we're using it as a team, but I'm constantly thinking of it from a team perspective. You know, what can I add to the library 
or the shared snippets that'll make everybody else's life easier. And I don't, yeah. I don't know if, if you guys are this way, but I, I seem to have this, if I have a superpower, I have this crazy ability to remember uh, keystroke sequences from all different kinds of programs and shortcuts because I hate using the mouse. But uh, Keyboard Maestro enables me to take that, you know, to a completely mm-hmm. other level. What are some things you're using uh, team-wide with Text Expander? Well, we have, for example, all of our product names, our trademarks, um, you know, any of those kinds of things where we might use those without using a trademark symbol, or it's just a hassle to type it in uh, the same way every time. We have a lot of different websites. We have about 10 different websites for our uh, different product groups. And so typing those in, especially when we're responding on social media to people, you know, anything that that we have to use on a repetitive basis like that, we use uh, Text Expander Mm -hmm. for it's 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 amazing how much it can just make things consistent. We use it at Relay for our sponsor names because sponsor, you know, some of them are all lowercase or they use camel case. It's like those little details can make an organization just seem so much more on top of it. And those details matter a lot when it's things like product names or sponsor names. Like those details need to be correct. And I like that we just don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, I like that too. I used to use it for client names. Like uh, anytime I had a client with an odd name, I would put it in there because the last thing you want to do is spell a client's name wrong. <laughs> and the uh, and and a few years ago, I made a mistake on a simple client name, and the client wrote me back and said, "Hey, you got my name wrong." And then I realized, oh, okay, I've got to use Text Expander for all mm-hmm. client names, not just the hard mm-hmm. ones, because I'm a bozo and I'm I'm likely to get Smith wrong on a, on a bad day. Me too. I'll put in the misspellings and have those correct automatically. Just And I've got people on my team, my employees. I have one of our, our senior content creators, Mandy Raviccio. And I, I could never spell her name right. And so I just don't tell her this, but I put it in text expander. And now I always, always get it right. And, you know, it keeps me from looking like a jerk to her. Well, I'm going to get you in on the, the keyboard maestro field guide as I start. It's, it's starting to build up now on, on the back end. So, but, but tell us just for giggles, what's the latest one you built that, that gives you a smile? Well, I've got this, this one um, that sets up my uh, template inside of day one where I've got my questions. But one of the practices I have is I, I read a selection from the Bible every morning. And so I copy from this application that I use that I read the Bible in the references over to day one, and then it basically parses it. I also use, um, what's the other program I use? The paste program. There's a bunch of them. Copied maybe? Uh, TechSoap. Okay. TechSoap. Yeah. 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 So basically what I I do is that I, I paste it from the Bible app over to day one, and then I use TechSoap to clean it up. And then I format it inside of there. And it's, it's a simple kind of dumb little thing, but it's so slick when it works. Yeah. Well, when you can make three apps do something, you know, it just, it makes you happy. I mean, it saves time every time you do it. Is it going to be a course or a field guide? Well, they're all courses now, but I call them field guides. So it's all video. Yeah. Well, I will definitely promote that to my tribe because I've got some geeks in my tribe and you know, it's one of those applications that can be really intimidating, but once you get into it, it's really fun and seeing the possibilities, and I'm sure you'll have a lot of these examples is all some people need. And, and TechSoap, for uh, the folks out there who haven't heard of it, it's just an amazing little Mac app um, 
the developer is one guy. I think he's in Portland. I've met him a few times at WWDC. And he's created this back-end kind of scripting text processor that you can stick text in. Like if you've got text that has an extra carriage return, you know, sometimes you get that when you copy something off the web mm-hmm. or whatever. You just run it through TextSoup and it fixes it for you. Or or the, the big problem that it solves is whenever you copy something off the web and it's got a bunch of font and and link and other formatting and other garbage in there from the internet, it just takes all of that out and gives you plain text. And it's an app that once you have it, you find a use for it, you know, almost daily. Yeah. And I've got that set up with hotkeys too, where I can run the ones that I use uh, frequently um, just with a hotkey combination. You know, another app that I use a lot is Snagit. So I use that for all my screenshots and annotations and I'll often grab something off the web. Uh, with Snagit and then upload it to uh, Slack to the team. So that's yeah. one that one of the first things I always install. One password we use that for Teams, which has been fantastic as well. Um, I haven't heard you talk much about Evernote this time. Are you still on the Evernote bandwagon? I have a love hate relationship with <laughs> Evernote. I I you know it's interesting because I had a conversation with uh, Ian Small, the new CEO at Evernote who, after he came in, and I, I was an Evernote ambassador, and so he had heard me kind of rag on it online, so he set up an appointment. He said, look, I don't have a dog in the hunt. I didn't create it. I'm just here to fix it, so I'd love to hear your perspective. And I, and I said, well, here's the deal. Evernote has gone from being my digital brain to being my digital uh, junk drawer. You know, I feel like I can't ever find anything in it. Uh, it's just kind of a mess. And, you know, he was very understanding and I, I, it, I got very hopeful in that conversation with him because I think he understood the problem and understands how to fax, uh, fix it. And I, I've been really encouraged in the last couple of months because they've been iterating and creating some things. I know they're trying to, you know, come up with a new code base and all that so that they can keep all these platforms updated. But I'm hopeful, but they got a lot of work to do. And they have a lot more competition than they used to. They really do. There are so many options. And I've heard you guys talk about them on the, on the show. And I've, you know, I've looked at notes and I've looked at, uh, you know, all the, all the different ones that are out there, but I'm still using it. You know, I've got a lot of legacy stuff in there, but I'm definitely less dependent upon it. And I don't think about it as much. And I'm not uh, an evangelist for it. Like I used to be. Steven's all in on Evernote. That's all you're using now, right, Steven? That's no, 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 no. You've confused me with the with the the one and only Federico Vitici. I'm still using it just for some research purposes for the web clipper because there's not many things that do such a good job at clipping from the web as Evernote. I mean, there there's some other there's some other apps that try it, but that's still so strong with Evernote. So I still have a lot of research stuff in there, but no, no, my day to day sort of regular general notes are are in the Apple Notes app and. And honestly, I've even been playing with, you know, I just set up this Evernote research system just a couple of months ago, and that's kind of the only thing I have there. And, and it's fine for that, but I don't want to move into it uh, full tilt. I would, I really want to love Bear because it's so beautiful. And the web clipper is pretty great when it works, but that's just not quite there yet either for me. And Notion's similar. They, got, they just released their web clipper and it's pretty good too. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where all this is going. It's confusing right now. 
I mean, too many buckets has come up on this show several times, and I think it really relates to these ideas. You know, where what goes in day one, and what goes in notes, and what goes in Evernote, and everybody's trying to figure it out for themselves. You want something that's stable, that's going to last a while, um, but at the same time, you want it to be fancy and easy to use. And I don't think anybody's really won the majority on this yet. Yeah, I'm not sure if anybody right. ever will. I think you're right. Well, Michael, I am so happy you came back on the show. Uh, congratulations on being number one at the Wall Street Journal with your new book. I, uh, Having read the book, I know exactly why it's so popular. I think it really helps a lot of people out and hopefully helps out a few of our listeners. And, uh, and of course, I love checking in with you on the geek level because, like I said, there's lots of guys that write books about productivity, not many that write their own keyboard scripts, their keyboard maestro scripts. So... You are always welcome on the Mac Power Users. Well, thank you. You guys are heroes of mine, and you're one of the five podcasts that I listen to every week. And I, I just, it's, it's kind of my uh, guilty pleasure to listen to your show and geek out because not a lot of the people around me are, are as geeky as you guys <laughs> are. So keep geeking. <laughs> we get that. We get that. <laughs> uh, you can learn more about Michael over at michaelhyatt.com. Any other places folks should go to check you out, Michael? Yeah, uh, people ought to check out the book site, which is freetofocusbook.com, only because when you buy the book and enter your uh, receipt number in there, we've got a couple of cool bonuses that are totally free, but will help you implement uh, this stuff at a deeper level. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate everything you're doing, and you've been a big help to me. I I I, uh, I should have told you this offline, but you really lit a fire for me about getting assistance on the last time you were on the Mac power users. And in two years, I look at uh, a lot of things good have happened for me because I took your advice about getting people to help oh. me out. And uh, I appreciate that. And I always will. Well, thanks. That delights me. All right. Thanks to our sponsors, move, same box, smile and Squarespace. We'll see you guys all next week. <laughs> <laughs>